Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career, and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decision or moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. My guest today is Rosie Tapner. Rosie is a TV presenter and model, best known for being Royal Ascot's racing presenter and for becoming the face of Balenciaga when she was only 15 years old. Rosie was brought up in Hertfordshire and has always been a country girl at heart. But when she was 15, she was thrown into the world of modelling, working for brands such as Burberry and Ralph Lauren, as well as being on the cover of British Vogue. In 2018, Rosie took part in the Magnolia Cup at Goodwood, and since then her career took a turn, as she then became Royal Ascot's racing presenter and was opened up into a new world, now presenting at Glorious Goodwood and other race days at Ascot, also taking part in multiple charity events. With such a colourful life so far, I cannot wait to delve into the moments that shaped Rosie's life and took her on the path she is on today. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Rosie. Thank you, Jenny. It's so nice to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to chat to you today. I think your moments are brilliant and they've really kind of like built the path of your life, as I just said. So I'm really excited to delve into them. Um, But I guess I wanted to start. So you're kind of very much in the racing world now. Um, You've done lots of transitions throughout your life and career. But I mean, I've always loved horses since I was younger. Um, And I just kind of wanted to know, like, did your love of horses come from a young age? Yeah, absolutely. We, I was brought up on a horse, effectively. (laughs) We've had horses since the day I was born. I think I could probably ride before I could walk. Amazing. That sort of thing. You know, I, they're my, they're the animal that I need around me. I'm Mm -hmm. probably the biggest animal lover that I know. And I care far too much about them and about their brains and their, like just everything about them. I just need them to be happy. And uh, it's the same with animals and uh, horses. And I just fell in love with them. Uh, And I've ridden since I was probably two or three uh, but never a racehorse so then when I got that chance which we'll go into later um, I just jumped at it and now I've totally fallen in love with the the thoroughbred breed and and that's sort of yeah I can't I can't help it I feel like horses have just an amazing spirit about them and I think when you have a connection with them it's like nothing else it's so different yeah and it's the same way yeah horses and dogs are probably my two and I feel like they and as much as people don't think horses talk to you or know you they do and there's something about them and their eyes when they look at you and there's that connection you know they've got to trust you because you're riding them and you've got to trust Mm -hmm. them because you're on top of them and yeah when you've built built that trust with them and if you've ridden one for like 10 years and you're the only person who has there's such a connection with that horse that you can't really beat that 
Definitely. And is there a massive difference then between like, you know, the horse you grew up on and racing horses? What would you say? I mean, for someone like me that doesn't know anything about that world, what are kind of the differences in the types of horses? Absolutely everything. Really? <laughs> genuinely terrifying. Um, yeah. When I first started riding racehorses, I absolutely hated it because they are so strong and they're wired and they just want to run. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn all the different techniques you know on a normal horse you, you shorten your reins and you pull and they think to stop on a racehorse when you shorten your reins and you pull they think go faster really? um, oh so gosh. it's all these different types of things but I also love the sensitivity of a thoroughbred because mm-hmm. they like to be looked after they like their routine um and they're very clever horses and they're so adaptable they have multiple riders on them every day yeah and you know, different scenarios, they're taken to somewhere like Goodwood, where you've got, you know, thousands of people, and they just adapt to it. So compared to a normal horse, which you can just sort of plod on and enjoy, they're, they're something else, they're quite special. It's so interesting. I love, I love hearing about kind of, I don't know, I think we all just presume that like all horses are the same, just like all dogs are the same and they're really, really not. They're so different. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what were your aspirations growing up? So like, what did a young Rosie want to be when she was little? I think if you watch, my mum did home videos from the, again, day we were born all the way up until now. And every home video, and it's so embarrassing to watch, it's me going on camera going, look at me, look at me, watch this, this," and then instantly running back behind the camera and going, I want to watch it, I want to watch myself. (laughs) So I think ever since I was tiny, I've wanted to be on camera, I've wanted to be a presenter, and I love the magic in TV, Mm -hmm. in theatre, in film, I love going behind the scenes, I want to know the secrets. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, when we went to the theatre, I wanted to sit as far on the other side as I could so I can see in the wings and uh, and watch the kind of the stagehands. And I just love, yeah, I love the secrets of TV. I've always wanted an earpiece in and now I've got that. And it's one of those things that you grow up going, I want to be on telly, not for being famous, not for, you know, people to know you, but because I want to know the secrets. I yeah. want to know what happens on TV and how they've done it and which bits live and which bits have they kind of pre-recorded. So I feel like actually I've fallen into the dream job that I've always yeah. wanted. Yeah, how, that's amazing. I love that because it's not very often that we do. And I think also you've obviously just got not just a passion for it but such a talent for it and it's amazing that you've kind of been able to live that out and like you know if a young little Rosie saw you today she'd be like oh my god you're doing it yeah it it was so weird I actually did this year I was given my first ever day on Sky on Sky Sports Racing and it was my first time on proper TV live TV and I was handed all my life all I've wanted is to have my own mic with either you know one of the big one of the big channels written on it. Yeah. Have my own earpiece in because I've got a molded one. Have my own earpiece in and have my own cameraman. And I got that on the day. Oh my and God. I remember I got back home and I just, I sort of hadn't thought about it because it was such a stressful situation as well to be but in. You don't, you don't reflect. You don't about think it. about it at yeah. all. And then my boyfriend just looked at me and she went, you know, you've, you've done it. You've just done what you've dreamt of. And then I just burst into tears. <laughs> no. Lost it. I totally get <laughs> I it. Love it. Because we don't, we don't take the time sometimes to sit and reflect because we're often too busy or we don't kind of like, you know, just take the time to be like, I say this a lot on the podcast to kind of say well done to ourselves and celebrate our successes. So yeah. it's good that you had a little cry. I like that. Yeah, I think we always just move forward too much. of mm-hmm. like, what's the next thing now? I've done that, but I'm really trying in life. Every time I do something that was... I guess sort of a sliding door moment it's I just want to look back on it and go okay that happened yeah and let's just celebrate that even if it's small let's just celebrate that that happened because otherwise you never move forward of course not of course not and then you never kind of like again we need to give ourselves a bit of praise sometimes to say that we're doing okay in life um yeah so you've also traveled the world with kind of in your modeling days. Um, and I guess I just wanted to ask you, you must have had some amazing experiences and some not amazing experiences. So what would you say is kind of like your favorite experience and what was your worst experience of those days? That was a period in life that's a really odd one that I look back on and it's almost like I'm looking back on someone else. Really? And like I didn't do it. I 
really didn't like that industry at all. Mm -hmm. But it's not that I kind of wanted to slag off the industry as a whole. It's more it didn't work for me. Yeah. It wasn't what I liked. Um, But like you said, I did have some awesome moments. And I think one of the craziest kind of four days that I had, but it was amazing, was I flew out to Miami. I think I was 16. Oh, my God. And flew out to Miami for a day's work with Topshop. And I then... Uh, knew that I had a day in between. So I had worked on the Friday, I had Saturday off, and then on Sunday I was working for Vogue out in Miami. But that Saturday, I could have either stayed in Miami and just had a day off, or I was given the option to fly home, go back to school, play my sports match, and then go back to Miami. Oh my God, really? Yeah, So I (laughs) and I always needed that sort of grounding to get me back to reality. And I thought, I'm 16, what am I going to do in Miami on my own? So it was crazy because I flew out on the Friday, did the job, flew back, uh, arrived Saturday morning, did my sports match and then flew back Saturday night and then worked all day Sunday and then flew back. I think it was Sunday night, Monday morning. So it was insane. But I had the best photographer, Alistair McClellan, who I absolutely adored working. We basically got to run out around on a beach all day long um and it wasn't a serious shoot you know it was good fun yeah I've had some awesome moments that have just like very surreal moments standing on top of a combine harvester and nine inch heels and a dress I couldn't breathe in (gasps) and like four people behind me being like if she falls she's gonna die (laughs) so let's just uh, make sure she doesn't um and I've been so lucky to work with you know the most awesome people but I've always made sure that I've gone back to my yeah sort of roots and every time after a shoot I'd go home and walk the dogs or you know go back to school and just be with my friends in a maths lesson and it's just those moments that Mm -hmm. have kept me kind of safe I guess yeah definitely Um, because it was an industry that was definitely scary you know at 15 being thrust into yeah like Balenciaga which I didn't even know what that was at the time um so it was a really really odd one to be just taken from absolutely nothing to you know articles and newspapers going she's the next Kate Moss or the Cara Delevingne or and I was going am I I don't am I because I'm just aware that I've got a GCSE to do next week um, but that's but that's why I think you're also quite unique because I think that you had the kind of you know the thing in your head saying I do want to keep grounded because I think you can probably get very swept up in the world and not have that because you you know if you're not driving it yourself other people might not be driving it for you but I guess was it quite like a lonely world at the time as well yeah you've absolutely hit the nail on the head my worst part about that whole thing was not only the fact that you have to stay a certain weight because I am strong and I'm fit and healthy and I like that but they you know they want you tiny yeah and the other thing was loneliness because all my friends would think oh that's so cool you're flying to I think everybody I just, does I was like that's awesome you're flying to LA for a job and I thought yeah I've done 10 hours on a flight I've then got in a car and gone to a shoot where I don't know anyone I've then jumped back in a car and to the airport and got on a flight home so it's not a holiday when you're going to work and you're always on your own. And yes, you're working with, you know, 20 people in the day, but they're 20 strangers every time. And you Um, actually really talk to them as well. Yeah. I mean, you do chat a bit, but it's also, it's very much work chat and it's not, it's not normal. It's not a normal (laughs) way to be. I mean, what it has given me is that I can talk to anyone in any room because (laughs) every single day I had to work with a new crew and you've got to be best friends with them in the first sort of five minutes otherwise the day's not going to go well but the loneliness was was definitely really hard because you're seeing all of your friends at parties and together and my the amount of events and parties and birthdays and friends things that I've missed is like way more than I've been able to go to and I think that definitely kind of made me struggle even now still where I'm like oh I missed out on that and so I don't have that friendship group Mm -hmm. um until I went to uni and I found like the best group of friends and now I've got that group and it's kind of over COVID that we've all started coming together to see each other a bit more and I'm like yeah I've got like I've got it now because I'm in the job that I want and I'm not traveling on my own 24-7 to a job that I didn't like. Yeah. Oh, that's really good though. Cause I guess like we'll talk, we'll delve more into these moments. Cause I think it's so interesting to kind of, as you say, like really look at like 
what how life could have been and how different things would have been um but I guess before we go into your moments I wanted to ask you what are your thoughts on kind of the sliding doors concept so you know do you think everything is fate do you think it's right place right time do you think it's coincidence timing what do you believe is kind of right for that like your life and how it's going to pan out I honestly am probably the biggest believer in fate ever (laughs) even if I'm getting in my car and there's like you know a crash somewhere on the motorway and I'm just behind it and I think my god if I hadn't like switched the light switch I may have been in that path (laughs) or if I hadn't like forgotten something and I really truly believe that your not your path but your kind of end goal is already planned yeah but the way you get to that end goal is your choice mm-hmm. and I think that kind of makes me feel a bit safe in knowing that what I want to do I think I'm gonna get there yeah but it's my choice as to which kind of door I slide open at each time in my life and what you know when I'm gonna get there and where I'm how I'm gonna get there so I think everyone in life has has a goal set when you're born but you decide which path that you take to get there and I love it kind that of makes theory. me feel a bit safer that if I even do the wrong path, I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. Might just, just take that, me longer to get yeah, there. Yeah, I've just gone left and I'll, yeah. I'll come back right at some point. Um, well, no, and yeah. it's true. It's like, you know, it's like thinking about a destination when you're driving. It's like, there's so many different ways you can get there, exactly. but you're always going to get to the same place. And I love that theory because I think, I think I'm quite similar where I do believe that like, you know, we are meant to do certain things, but we do have a choice in them. And I think we, I think you make such a brilliant point that it's our decision and we are in control of what, you know, what's presented to us, what we say yes to, what we don't. But we also have to believe that like, we are always going to get to somewhere. Like we just have to kind of like figure out how it's going to be. Yeah. And there might just be traffic along the way and that is fine. And we just push through the traffic at some point. (laughs) Exactly. We might just get really pissed off with the traffic jams. Oh, I'm a terrible driver. Oh Oh, God. I am the most (laughs) aggressive driver. I just hoot at anyone. I actually broke the horn on my last car because I used it too much. It's not good. I will steer clear of you on the roads then just to make sure. Um, So let's go into your moments. And this one is my favourite for so many reasons. So your first moment is going to the clothes show in Birmingham on a school trip so first of all it's giving me like mega memories of when I was younger going to the clothes show which was like the event of the year um so you said you kind of kicked up a bit of a fuss about having to go because you didn't like shopping which is you know you may not have gone in the first place and actually you were scouted by five different agencies in one day so explain this whole day to us what happened and how did this change your life it was crazy that day. So our school took us to the clothes show in Birmingham as a school trip, end of year sort of school trip. And I really kicked up a fuss because I hate fashion. I didn't like shopping. The The idea of spending a full day <laughs> just shopping clothes. and around fashion was like absolute hell to me. Yeah. But they were like, I was at a boarding school. So they said, well, you're the only girl not going. So you can't be that only girl because we're all going yeah so I had to go so I turned up to the clothes show in um black tights short dungarees uh, a stripy top underneath with a gray cardigan and my riding boots it was a look (laughs) it was an absolute look and we got split up into sort of you know pairs and threes to go around all day and it was being scouted is actually probably one of the scariest things in the entire world because you can see people start looking at you and like looking you up and down and then they just walk over and they hand you stuff and they're like we think you'd be great and you're like what sorry (laughs) so weird but I yeah five different agencies scouted me that day um and I actually ended up on one of the catwalks at the post show so select model agency have a catwalk and they choose the best 10 girls at the end of the day that they've scouted and you have to walk up and down now when there are 600 girls from your school there at the same time and you're kind of a bit of a loser as well at school because you're the horse riding one and I didn't want to be there having to walk up and down this catwalk in my riding boots and dungarees was absolutely horrendous And, and the entire school was surrounding this catwalk um and then I sort of we went home and it was all good and I wasn't that bothered by it and uh, mum sort of just said to me, well, why, like, why don't we go for a meeting with one of the agencies just in case it could be a career path for you? Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe let's just, we'll just go and see. And because we all really don't like London, um, we just booked in with uh, one of them. We went to Storm first mm-hmm. and they just wanted me. So we were like, okay, great. 
like we'll cancel all the other appointments because we can't afford to come up again and we went to storm and about two weeks later I was then in New York shooting Balenciaga what a whirlwind I mean that's I mean had you like ever ever thought about modeling before this I think it had been mentioned to me a few times just purely because I was that girl that was sort of terrifyingly thin but very healthy Mm -hmm. I ate everything I just had one of those metabolisms that I I was quite similar where where people used to say to my mum like you don't feed her yeah yeah I had a particular teacher at school actually that came up to me and said you're not eating you're getting really thin and I got quite upset because I thought actually I'm the one that eats more than anyone yes (laughs) I just have that metabolism like I'm sorry that that's me um so that was yeah it was just the whole thing was completely insane and yeah so people had mentioned it to me before but Mm -hmm. I hadn't really actually thought it would actually happen and then Um, what happened and what happened so what happened when you kind of got the Balenciaga job as you said like you hadn't even really heard of Balenciaga what was that first kind of trip like for you was it exciting was it scary was it everything honestly the lead up to it was hilarious because my agent had to come to my school to video me walking uh, to send to Balenciaga yeah and our school house was like a courtyard situation it was like a u-shape yeah and in the middle of the u-shape he made me walk up and down and go hi I'm Rosie Chapman I'm 15 and I'm a storm and um the entire again all my friends were sort of hanging out their windows watching this and I'd never walked in heels before I was you know country country girl at heart um so he did that and then he went back to London and then I was told that Nicolas Gasquet, who was the designer at the time, wanted to meet me in Paris. So another agent uh, took me to Paris the next day and we met Nicholas for five, ten minutes. That was I had to walk up and down for him. I mean, there were girls fainting at his feet because they were so excited to meet him. Yeah. I had no idea which one in the room was him. <laughs> that, I love that though because that's no the best clue. way to be. I was so over my head. All I was thinking about was like, get back to school, get back to school. And um, yeah, on the train journey home on the Eurostar, my agent got an email saying, Balenciaga want Rosie as their worldwide exclusive for two years. And she was in, I mean, a bit of crying, hysteric. She couldn't cope with this situation. She'd never <laughs> seen it before. Incredible. And I just was sat there going, what's gone on? What does that mean? <laughs> like, what time are we home? Um, and it basically meant that I have, could only work for Balenciaga exclusively for two years. Um, and I could work for magazines, but no other brand. Yeah. And yeah, and then literally a week later, I was sent to New York and... Um, I had very, very long hair at the time. They chopped it all off and gave oh me a gosh. fringe and made it uneven and thinned it out on set. And it was genuinely terrifying. But, you know, when you're thrust into an industry, you don't know. I was working with Stephen Mizell, one of the biggest photographers yeah. that there is. I didn't know who he was. Um, again, my agent was just despaired every time. I was like, <laughs> who's this? What's going on? Um, but it was, you know, looking back on it, I would say like, I kind of want to like hug myself at that time because I remember sitting there going what on earth is happening right now and I didn't understand that doing Balenciaga and being on billboards would mean that everyone would suddenly kind of want you yeah and I found that really really tricky I think more than anyone knows um you know people wanting your face and your body but not your brain is really tough to massively handle. and especially at, at such a young age because we're developing so much still at the yeah. age that you were like you know I think at the time we think we're really old and blah blah but you're not and I think that I mean what would you say kind of you learn most from those days whether it be like good things or bad things I think the main thing I learned to be nice to everyone yeah and I was nice anyway yeah but I thought on set when you are at a job and you're being paid to be there, don't even think about complaining. You know, Such good you work, are not the person that everyone wants. In fact, the model is the last person on the call sheet because everyone else around you is what makes that picture. You are just the sort of object in the picture. Yeah. Everyone around you makes the picture. And we would sometimes be on set from like 6 a.m. till midnight, and then they'd want to reshoot everything again. And I always had that, you know, all your hair gets cut off. And I remember yeah. the other girls crying and complaining. And I just sat there going, oh, I love it. It's so cool. Like, look at this. And then yeah. I went home and I cried. 
And I did that every, I think I cried after every shoot because it was so exhausting. And you'd get into a car and you haven't eaten all day. You've been told, you know, you've got more jobs coming up. You've been on an 18 hour shoot um, and you've been so hyper all day. I'm always told I'm too positive because I'm just like, hi, everything's (laughs) great. Like, come on, let's do this. Because I think as the person that's on the camera, if you're not being positive, oh yeah, then everyone else comes down. Totally. So it's kind of your job to keep everyone going. And when they say at the end of a long day, can we reshoot everything? Instead of going, oh my God, in my head of going, you are all so stupid. I could have told you this 10 hours ago. You know, you go, yes, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Definitely reshoot the whole thing. Not a problem at all. Um, so I just learned how to get on with it you know life's not always fair and easy and you have to just get on with it totally and it must give you such an appreciation now for I don't know just like normal life I mean as you say you were craving it already when you were in this situation but I guess you've you've seen such an extreme stream at such a young age that now you're probably you probably relish the moments that you get to just be you and yeah it's so cool even just being able to sit on a sofa and just absolutely relax and eat yes and it's such a silly thing like before this podcast I was delving into like digestive biscuits and a few years ago there is no way I would have done that without feeling guilty yeah and you know I was very lucky to never have an actual eating disorder I was never diagnosed but I think I probably had sort of one of my own Mm -hmm. that every time I ate I felt just awful guilt yeah and panic that my agent might phone me and say oh you've got a job tomorrow and I would turn up to shoots and I wouldn't eat anything until I'd seen the clothes and if I thought okay I can fit into those I would eat and if I didn't think I could I wouldn't eat so it's a really odd one and then I'd get home and like binge on everything and then get a phone call saying you're working tomorrow and I'd be like oh my god and I was lucky I never I was very lucky that I was never bulimic I never threw up yeah but I would get on the treadmill and I would just absolutely panic. That, it's such an intense know. pressure at such a young age. I think at any age it is, but it's, you know, to live your life in that constant panic or constant having to think. I think that... It's a constant worry. It's yeah. a constant worry that someone is going to phone you. I think the other thing, you know, if you're in a nine to five, you know that you're going to get up at this time, you're going to get into work at nine and you're going to leave at five. Lots of things might happen in the day that are unexpected, but you know that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. What was terrifying about that industry for me was I would be in like a French lesson or a sports science lesson. I'd get a call saying there's a car picking up in half an hour and you're going to Paris for a day. And then that would turn into a week. Yeah. And you just never knew what's going to happen in each day. And you'd have to cancel things, rebook things and but it was awesome at the same time. Like yeah. I'm painting it really badly here. No, but not at all. It was also a whirlwind of craziness and awesome. Yeah. But now I look back on it, I'm like, oh my God, how did you cope? Yeah. How did you cope with but that? Like, you always get kind of the good with the bad. And I guess, was it a hard decision? So when you were first offered to kind of go with Storm and was offered this kind of getting into this new world, was it a hard decision for like you and your mum to make to kind of not go down the conventional educational path? Like, do you remember it just being like, like, we'll just go like throw caution to the wind. We'll just see where it goes. Or do you remember kind of actually really thinking about, is this right? Do I want to do it? Like, how did you come to that decision? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. I, we didn't think about it. We just mm-hmm. said yes. Yeah. And then literally, because I was then thrust into, you know, really big jobs straight away. Um, I, I finished school. I did my A-levels. I went to uni. I did everything. Um, I just managed to cope with doing everything at once. And actually, I would say I think I worked harder because on my 10-hour flights, instead of sitting there sleeping or watching films, I would be working because I would think, I've got to catch up on work. So I'd actually probably do more than I would have done if I was at school all the time. Mm -hmm. But it's nothing we ever discussed. My school were absolutely amazing because they saw it. It was actually just a, it was a career. You yeah, know, it wasn't just a silly Rosie's going out to do a few modeling jobs. It was okay, this is something that's going to hopefully, you know, and it's good that you had career. that. Yeah, I was so good that I had that. And actually, I used school as my safe place. I called it like my prison, but a good prison. And mm-hmm. um, I loved coming back. And I really worried for when I left after my A levels because, you know, I could always say no to jobs and use school as an excuse. Exactly. And when I was out of school, 
I didn't have that safety of being able to make up an excuse Mm -hmm. for not doing a job. And that's sort of when it all started spiraling out of control because I just lost, I lost control of everything at that point because everyone was pulling me in all sorts of directions and I had no safe spot. I had no base that was just like yours. I mean, obviously I had a home. Yeah, but it's different. I didn't have the base where I could say, I've got got an exam, I can't do it, you know. So it was definitely, school was my safe haven and I would give my right arm to go back there again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, I guess the really big question, which I'm so excited to ask you is, is that what do you think would have happened if you'd not have gone? So there's like a few things. If you'd not have gone to the clothes show, if you had had gone, but then hadn't have followed up with the agencies after, how, like, do you ever think like, what on earth would you be doing now? How different would your life have been? Yeah. Now I'm in the job that I want and we'll get onto it later, but you know, now I'm in the job that I want is totally because of my modeling days. Yeah. And yeah I just I try and keep thinking of that thing of there is a goal and there are different paths so hopefully I would have got here another way but I do kind of love the fact that I did that and I can look back at pictures of you know me over the years and go okay that's actually that's quite cool I never looked at that saying it was cool until now Um, actually when I saw on billboards I should have shut my eyes and turned away um, but now I can look back and go, oh, that was quite cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's a really odd one. If if we hadn't gone into Storm, you know, if we'd gone to a different modelling agency, would I have got Balenciaga? You know, or maybe I would have got an even bigger job. I don't like thinking about what might no, have happened. I also love it, <laughs> it because as me. you say, like the presenter goal was always there. It's just the way that you yeah. took it. So you just sort of take a different way. Um, I love that. So your second moment, actually, then we get into the whole presenting side of stuff, which is great. So saying yes to the Magnolia Cup at Goodwood. So you said that this changed everything for you and was the best decision that you ever made in your life. So explain how this was a sliding doors moment for you. So this has totally changed my life and whenever Goodwood asked me to do something I'm there to help them because they have totally changed it and yeah I thank them every single day for for this so the Magnolia Cup at Goodwood is a charity horse race Mm -hmm. and because of my somewhat profile in the modeling industry I was asked to take part in it and it's an all women's race and we raise money for charity and it's brilliant and I knew that my agent probably would say no to me doing it because it meant going in the gym and getting strong and you know being on a dangerous horse and might get Mm -hmm. injured so I actually signed the contract with Goodwood before my agent (laughs) (laughs) so there wasn't really turning back and actually they were like oh it sounds great you know go for it um but I just sort of yeah I actually remember where I was I was at uni in my living room and the phone call came through And I did think in my head, normally you would ask your agent and then it'd be a whole argument. I just thought, no, I'm just going to do it. Why not? Like, why not just take one thing in your life, a bit more control back and do what you want to do. And so then you're given a trainer to go and ride out for to learn how to ride these racehorses. And I was given Charlie Hills and Lambourne and he's absolutely brilliant. And I hated it for the first month because it is so scary. And I was not strong enough and needed to get fit and then as I sort of progressed over the six months I just fell in love with it the speed Mm -hmm. the adrenaline the terror the every part of it I just fell in love with and I loved lifting weights I loved being in the gym every day I got really strong I was actually the heaviest I've ever been but the smallest and I just I felt so good I just felt amazing Um, I still wish now I can get back to that stage because I've just felt amazing. Um, And then, so I did the race at Goodwood and then I remember for two days I just cried because I was so sad it was over. Mm. Um, And then I got a phone call from Ascot the third day and they said, can you come and ride in our charity race in November? You're like, I'm there. Brilliant. I was like, great. (laughs) That's in two months time. Of course I'll be there. So I went straight back to Charlie and started riding out for him again. And uh, yeah, did the race at Ascot. And also I had this thing, I wanted to be a presenter, but I didn't say to people, I want to be a presenter. I said, I'm going to be a presenter. So when anyone asked, and I had all these networking events since I was 15, and I told everyone that I met, I'm going to be a presenter. And somehow or another, word has sort of gone out about this. So when I finished the race at Ascot, um, the director of Cartier, I think he knew about it. So he told 
someone else. Anyway, Juliet Slot, who was the commercial director at the time, came up to me and said, listen, you love fashion. Didn't tell her that I didn't at the time. But <laughs> love you it. love fashion. And we need a new fashion presenter. We know you want to be one. Um, so will you be our fashion presenter at Royal Ascot? So I was like, absolutely. I know everything about fashion. Of course I'll be there. Um, and that's how it started. And then from there... I sort of went, I don't want to do fashion. That's not me. And I don't mm-hmm. know about it. You know, yeah. you, no one else can see, but I'm sat here in like a hoodie and <laughs> leggings and a pink granny blanket over my knees. Um, and I, so I don't want my career path to go down something that I really don't know mm-hmm. about and I'm not an expert in. So I thought I'll try and become an expert or know a lot about racing. So I just learned a lot and I asked a lot of people and I sort of proved to ask it that I knew a bit about it and then they gave me the opportunity to be their racing presenter um so it's all the internal tv which is really mm-hmm. lovely because you can learn and muck up and no one's yeah. really watching so it's great um and then goodwood said the same thing to me so i became their presenter uh and then it's sort of taken off from there and i've just been so so lucky to be have so many people around me that are really pushing me. I mean, Ed Chamberlain, who is the ITV main presenter, he has pushed my career so much. And to have someone like that saying, You're, you can do it, mm-hmm. and giving me good feedback and helping me along the way is just amazing. So yeah, Goodwood really, if I'd never done that race, this would never have happened for me. And yeah, I yeah, have a lot of pinch myself moments actually now. A lot. But I had definitely. one on Wednesday actually because I had to host a lunch um, for about 150 and it was mainly men. I had no idea what I was doing because I didn't get told till the night before. Um, and then I had to interview Frankie Dettori, Oshin Murphy and Jim Crowley, who are three oh of God, the best amazing. jockeys in the world. Yeah. And I know them all. And to be able to have Frankie Dettori walk into a room and give me a hug and ask how I am and know stuff about me, I was like, this is <laughs> extraordinary. Yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. Amazing. And there's so many bits of this because I guess you never would have been offered Goodwood if you hadn't have been a model. So again, yeah. it's so connected to your first moment because, you know, that's kind of what really got this in. But as you said, I think what's so lovely about this is, is that, as you said, you were going to be a presenter, but the fact that you've actually been able to get into presenting of something that you're passionate about is also amazing because I think that, you know, we can, as you said, you could have just been lumbered into fashion because it's like, oh, she's a model. That's all she wants to do. And actually you've just fallen into like one of your absolute loves. And I think that, you know, I mean, I guess if thinking about what, where you were in your life when you got offered to do um, Goodwood, if you hadn't have been offered it, what do you think you kind of would have been doing now? I think so. I was studying digital media production at uni. So mm-hmm. a lot of that was to do with TV and we had a whole TV section. So I think I would have gone into TV production okay. uh, more than anything it, to then hopefully then get into presenting. Yeah. But it was definitely, yeah, it's a fun, it's an odd one to think about because the modelling really was my stepping stone to presenter I just didn't know about it at the time and it's just bonkers to me that that has now happened and obviously it's still very early days for me you know the Mm -hmm. pandemic didn't help um everything so it's it's been a full year of work this year but I still you know I'm still learning and um still want to do more and I don't want to stay in racing I want to go to sport I want to go into entertain I don't want to do everything that's my problem is I want to do everything um but yeah if I hadn't been in that part of my life I think I would have gone into TV production I think but yeah I mean I again you know talking earlier about having had to miss events and parties and everything my graduation was on a Monday Uh, actually it was on a Thursday but I had to miss it so I had to do an earlier graduation to my whole kind of year yeah and uh because then on Tuesday was Royal Ascot so I graduated and the next day I was at work doing the thing that I've always wanted to do which is insane yeah absolutely insane um but it's right place right time it's a lot of luck it's a lot of blagging it as well you know I was going I know everything about racing and then I stayed up all night you don't (laughs) get anywhere in life without a bit of a blag because I think that I think that what you said before actually about saying that like I'm going to become a presenter not like I want to be I think 
self-belief is like all that you need to kind of I don't yeah. know it's not blagging as such it's kind of like you believe it you may not have done it but you know you can't you could do it you just need the opportunity to try yeah but you know then when they actually say okay here's the opportunity and you go <laughs> You're oh like, my god <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not prepared at all <laughs> but I love, situation. How, I love how you said that, that you got to do kind of you learn a bit of your craft like on internal like you know channels beforehand and as you say like you are at the beginning of your career and it's brilliant to know that you do want because we've got so much of our careers a lot of us ahead of us and you know you get to somewhere you think you want to be when you're 30 but then you're like well I've got like 30 more years of my life like what do I want to do and actually it's brilliant that you can kind of start in this realm and then kind of push off into other areas yeah and I think it's another thing I always say I don't want to be thrust into the limelight straight away with presenting because I really want to learn yeah how you know the trade properly and really feel on my feet and confident with it no matter the situation because with modeling I wasn't modeling I was the top girl within the first week of my yeah. career and I had, I had no yeah. idea what I was doing whereas I remember dad saying to me when you get into presenting you can't just work at the top and I was like I don't want to yeah like, I want to learn my open craft the yeah. door at ITV I will be the receptionist at a, you know a channel I just want to learn from the bottom up Mm -hmm. so the fact that it's sort of going like that and more opportunities are coming through which is amazing but I'm very wary that no matter how much I've done I'm still new and I still want to learn it properly and respect everyone else around me for how much they've done and I have a black book of advice so anyone that gives me advice goes straight in the black book so I can read it every time I go on on a job But that's such good advice for people because I think that especially in this day and age where everything one what everyone wants everything very quickly and wants to get to the top and it's actually your outlook and like work ethic is exactly what gets you to where you want to be. So I, I absolutely love that. Um so on to your last moment. So I think this is a big one for a lot of us. Um and it's the pandemic. So I think you've kind of said it made you stop for the first time since you were 15 and made you realise what you actually want. And I think that, you know, from everything we've spoken about, we can all now think about like your life then and kind of how the pandemic changed everything for you. So what kind of changed so much for you over the past kind of like 18 months to two years? It was when the pandemic hit, I, like so many other people, got about 50 emails the next day saying cancel everything. Mm-hmm. And 2020 was looking like it was going to be my year of oh, presenting, really taking off. Oh, everyone, we started 2020, off. everyone was like, your it was year, like, best yeah, year ever. Everyone's year was <laughs> going to be the year that everything kind of just happens. And it didn't. And 10 years of momentum and hard work, and, you know, in this industry, it is about momentum. It's yeah. about keeping it up. I'd just gone. And that was so scary. But then I was very lucky. I had a very nice um lockdown I was at home with my family in the country and you know dogs horses and so I mean beyond lucky so I'll never complain about it because actually I turned my phone off Mm -hmm. I switched my emails off I didn't look at anything I was doing puzzles like so many other people I was baking banana bread and I just like got out of bed at 10 o'clock in the morning which I'm not used to I could go running and just like breathe for Mm -hmm. the first time ever and not worry about food not worry about what I look like not worried about god how many times we're gonna have to go up to London this week or you know and it's it really made me stop and go what is important is it Mm -hmm. that you make every single event every week and absolutely burn out by every week and then have to work all weekend and never have any sleep or is it that you do what you want to do and what you feel is right and yeah. you've got to learn how to say no and I've started Power getting no. weirdly good at that now yeah good um and yeah it just made me switch off and I needed it I think I was burning out for the 10 years without realizing yeah. and then I did I just I stopped and then I also moved in with my boyfriend in London um sort of end of the first lockdown or second lockdown um and that was really nice and I was just going oh I just love normality Mm -hmm. so if I can try and do the job that I'm in but also keep that normality and not be the crazy girl that is running all over everywhere um you know my friends always say to me you never turn up here you never turn up there and I'm like because I'm working but now I'm going okay what's important is it 
that yeah. I drop into my friend's birthday for five minutes before going to work or do I miss it totally and now I'm going actually I should drop in for five minutes because that's my normality mm-hmm. and then go to whatever job I've go to if I've got the time to do both because otherwise I was just losing control of yeah. normal yeah. and the pandemic made me realize that you've got to have good people around you in order for you to succeed because you've got to be able to come home to someone and be able to vent to them and vent to your friends and or celebrate things with them you know my first ever day on sky this year my boyfriend bought me like a few little presents and just it's so nice to come home to Mm -hmm. normality and have and have that so the pandemic was was that turning point and learning how to say no and be a bit gritty with people yeah. they've really annoyed me and do you think that you know if you because again I think a lot of us have just got this whole new perspective on life I mean I, I think we've kind of gone a bit back into our old norms I thought I think we all thought we were going to like step back into something and just nothing things wouldn't get as busy and then September hit and it was like whoa everything's yeah. really busy again but do you think that again, like if you hadn't have had that time, you'd still just be kind of running and running and running and not fully being in control, but also not really understanding, as you said, like what was a priority to you? And do you think that that ultimately could have like, you know, led to you having to be like, whoa, I need to stop or like having yeah, to have I that time anyway? Bur- I think I would have crashed and burned. I was doing yeah. four events a night, you know, wow. I was spending so much money because I didn't live in London, coming up to London every day. I don't think I would have moved to London if it wasn't for the pandemic. My older brother sat me down, actually took me for dinner. And he said, you're 25, 24, 25, said, you've got to move out of home. He said, and he said, no boy will ever want you if you're living at home. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I'm dating this guy. What do you mean? So I was like, I've got to move out. Um, So actually, I think it was, you know, I slowed down and he just said to me, you're running like crazy, but you're not thinking about life. Mm -hmm. You're just thinking about work. Um, so I moved to London, um, in a flat with a friend and then we moved in together sort of a year later, but I, that would not have happened without that. And I wouldn't then have the support network that I do. And yeah, I think I would have burnt out and just totally crashed and, and not, not research, not help myself with jobs. I always say you can't just turn up to a job, like a job takes preparation you'll know from your podcast you can't just turn up and interview someone you need preparation and I think I was running so much that I was just turning up to things and going right what am I doing yeah with no prep so now I'm very wary that if I've got a job one day I'll try and take the day off before and actually just have that prep time but the pandemic taught me that that you don't have to do everything all the time yeah Uh, but I certainly would have moved to London I probably wouldn't have met my boyfriend I probably you know there's so many things that I'm now the happiest I have ever 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 been with a job that I love um and I'm still learning but you know opportunities are so exciting I always look forward to a Monday when I'm like okay what's gonna what's gonna happen this week and I just wouldn't be in a position where I've moved out of home and I'm actually happy in my own space yeah and yet I'm just living I know it sounds really weird no not at all but you're just living life I you know I cycled into town this morning for a quick and um for a quick meeting and then I cycled home and I just thought this is so weird this is just life now yeah you know it doesn't seem novel that I'm living with someone and that I'm cycling around and I'm making my own meals and it sounds so hopeless but I am only 26 so it's still no, but also thing. I think but it's you, just lovely I'm yeah. just happy and you um, didn't have you didn't have a conventional not that there is a conventional no, but like, I didn't at like all. you know like your start life so I think you know it is these things probably do mean a little bit more to you but I also think that your point around that again it's almost like we think this in our jobs as well like it's not so that you don't have to do everything to be successful actually being successful is deciding what to say yes to what to say no to and as you say then giving your all to the things that you want to and you know some of the most successful people say no to opportunities because you you can't say yes to everything and burn yourself out spread yourself too thin you you know if you can pick a few make a few good choices give your all to it that's when you're going to flourish and you know become successful yeah. so you know, I a, still struggle with that like, still it's, yeah, it's a lot like, easier said than I've done. gone home to ride and then I've gone to this and I've gone to that and I've gone oh my god I've just too much in a day but I still yeah I still have that but I feel like I'm in control of it now mm-hmm. and I'm I'm very ready to say no and I've got good friends around me that most of them that 
you know, when I say yes to something, they do take it with a pinch of salt only yeah. because if a job comes up, I've got to take the job. And they totally get that. You know, but I you don't need have that. that exactly. You need them to understand it. Yeah. 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 And it's taken a few years to find the right, the right people around me that go, Rosie's coming, but you know, if she gets a job, that's that priority. Obviously yeah. it depends what job and depends what friend event it is. But they're just it's so lovely to have that network that I know that I can always text and just say, I've got I've got something. I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh yeah, but that's taken I mean, that's taken 10 years. And, you know, the other thing is my weight now is so stable and I don't think about food anymore. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of comments on that from people saying, you know, how did you get to that point where you don't care what you look like? You don't care, you know, what your weight is or how much you've eaten in a day or, you know, I haven't been to the gym once this week, which is very Mm -hmm. unlike me. Um, But I don't care. And that's, that's okay but that's yeah. taken 10 years mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people think you can get that overnight and I just think that's happened through so much hard work yeah almost forcing myself not to go to the gym to teach my body that it doesn't need it 24 mm-hmm. 7 and eating rubbish and then not caring and that but that's taken years but to the point that I don't even think anymore I'm yeah. like if I'm hungry I'm eating I don't care what it is Mm-hmm. I'm eating but and I never think about it so again that's taken a lot of time and a lot of effort to yeah to get through that as well yeah oh Rosie it's been so lovely to chat to you I think I love the fact that you're like in the best place at the moment and I think it's so inspirational to hear you know how you've got to where you have and your outlook on like your work ethic and I'm so excited to see kind of where your presenting journey goes because as you say you're still only at the beginning of the journey so um and thank you for sharing all your moments with us today Oh, no, thank you, Jenny. It's been so good to be on here. I've loved chatting. Oh, thank you so much, Rosie. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.